When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. always seems to get involved, doesn't he? I'm telling you, too many coconuts have hit him right on top of the skull. Well, I think uh, Anthony will be a great acquisition. He can do it all. Avery, whose show is this? Welcome everybody here to the Lakers Lounge Live Edition. Uh, I am joined today in this podcast by somebody who I thoroughly enjoy recording with, my favorite beat reporter on the Lakers beat. Uh, he works for The Athletic. He does tremendous work over there. Jovan Buha, how are you doing, bud? I'm doing well, man. How are you doing? You know, I we were just talking. I'm, I'm, I'm so glad that, that like we are a couple preseason games away from games that actually matter and there isn't like existential dread going into the season like it's just, it's just such, it's such a nice pleasant preseason it's been great this is my first normal preseason i would say <laughs> uh fourth year covering the team and first one was coming out of the bubble uh, it was yeah. a condensed preseason and it was like a week after they won the championship yeah it, it was it was just yeah, it was it wasn't normal for sure. It was not a six game slate. I think they only played a couple games, and yeah. everything was rushed. And we were still wearing masks, and uh, you know it was empty arenas, and it was just a whole weird situation. Uh, then the last two preseasons have <laughs> I mean, the team's gone one and eleven, and uh, yeah. I think any optimism that they entered camp with uh, quickly dissipated. Yeah, and it became sort of a sideshow, uh, and and there was all the drama with the rust situation and who's going to start and this and that and uh, yeah. just different things. And, and this year it's just been, they've almost been a little boring, but it's been nice. Like they've <laughs> yeah. just been a, a quality professional basketball team with no drama, uh, no real questions. And it's been a nice preseason. Uh, last year's team, I would say about half the roster was shorter than you. And that was a bit of a red flag. Like that yeah. was... <laughs> <laughs> when I saw the amounts of really, really short people on the team, even beyond Russ, I was like, this is, this probably won't go very well. This is, there, there were several times last season that Rob and Darvin joked about signing me to a 10 day. So <laughs> again, I mean, I mean I, I, I've never seen you play basketball, but that's probably not a great sign. <laughs> um, uh, and actually, <clears throat> that's kind of where I wanted to start is um, the, the, I, the the juxtaposition and, and the, the uh, dichotomy of the last two uh, preseasons where this year I sent what I thought was a uh, thoroughly vanilla tweet, basically saying that uh, I think the Lakers are good. Not just good, but like actually yeah, legitimately good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, the amounts of people who responded who are, you know, fans of other teams indicated to me 
huh, I think the Lakers actually might be legit because most fans aren't going to take time out of their day to like correct me. And like even taking that a step further last year when I said, I think the Lakers are crap. It's not like there are a whole bunch of people saying, uh, it's just preseason. Take your time. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, like it, it's not, that's not something that like too many people were taking their time uh, again out of their day to, to, to at somebody who, who they don't follow on that subject. So I think the Lakers are legit. Um, I do still have questions about the defense, but I do think they're, a, you know, if not a top tier, there's, there's certainly a second tier type team that, uh, might only be on that second tier because it's so crazy to me that they would be in that top tier. Where, where, where did you have them going into preseason and where do you have them now? Yeah, uh, I had them in my top tier, but at the back mm -hmm. end. So I had them fifth entering the season or entering training camp uh, behind, I think, the consensus top four of Boston, Milwaukee, Denver, Phoenix in some mm -hmm. order. Uh, and then I, I felt with the Drew and Dame trades uh, that those that foursome was kind of clearly ahead of the Lakers by some margin. Uh, but honestly, after watching them in the preseason, I, I still have them fifth, but I think that gap between them and the rest of the group is a little bit closer. I am getting closer to potentially putting them ahead of Phoenix for fourth. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I want to see how the final preseason game goes. I want to see how that second matchup goes. Uh, and, and, you know, they're, they're going to play each other several times uh, through the first few weeks of the season. But I, I think. I think they look really, really good. Like the offense to me has been the biggest uh, yeah. bright spot during preseason uh, of uh, I referenced the stat several times over the last few days, but they've scored 177 points across the five quarters that they have had a semi-regular rotation that averages out to 35.4 points per quarter or 141 points, uh, 141.6 points per game. Now, obviously that is not sustainable, <laughs> but we had like you know, if you look at the the hallmarks of successful rosters and, and groups in the LeBron eighty era, it's always been defense first. That that title team yeah. was in, in uh, you know around a league average offense with an elite defense. Uh, e even that that second season, they were also an elite defense, kind of a little bit better offensively. Uh, but then they they had the injuries with LeBron and AD, and then this past season, once again, uh, I believe after the trade deadline, they were second in offense and fourteenth. I mean, uh, 14th in offense and second in defense. So yeah. if you look at the way that the Lakers have had success in this era, it's often been, let's put some elite defensive role players around LeBron and AD, and then those guys are going to be superheroes and carry our offense. And it's going to be just good enough to get us over the hump. And I think this year, bringing in guys like Torian Prince, uh, Christian Wood, Gabe Vincent, they kind of shifted that equation where now they have legitimate shooters around those guys, adding in also... Uh, you know, Austin and D'Lo, those guys continuing to be big parts of the offense. And for me now, I look at this group as like, I think they can be a top 10 offense. And if they're a top 10 offense, I think there's going to be some slippage defensively. I don't think they're going to be a top two defense again, yeah. uh, or at least, you know, extrapolating that stretch over the rest of the season. Uh, but if you can be a top 10 offense and defense, that is a recipe for contention. And that is a recipe for a 50 plus one season. And I think both of those things are in play. So uh, I look at this group as, there, I'm with you. I think there are some defensive concerns, particularly on the perimeter. Uh, I don't like that's where I'm fascinated by the Phoenix matchup. I don't know how they match up with uh, KD, Booker, and, and Beal. I don't know who are the three guys that they try to throw at them. 
Uh, yeah. you know, one of them's probably going to end up being D'Lo, and I, I know we'll get to him later. But I, I, I still look at it like, I mean, this offense, they hit 23s in one game, which I know it's preseason, but they didn't do that in any game last season. And then no. nine threes in uh, the first quarter against Golden State, which tied their uh, quarter high for uh, any game last season as well. So it's like, yes, it's preseason, all those caveats apply, but we're seeing things from this group already within a few games that we never saw at any point from last season's group. And I, I think on paper, they're better. I think there's you know the much more offensive firepower. And to me, this group looks like a legitimate contender uh, in ways that we haven't seen from Lakers team really in several years. Yeah, even the like to to throw it back to the comparisons to years prior, they were elite defensively, which allowed them to get out and transition. And their transition basically carried their offense. They are mm -hmm. uh, really an outlier team in terms of teams that have won championships with bad half court offenses. You know that did, that did not happen regularly, and and. You know the one asterisk that people like to throw on that on that bubble playoff run is how well a lot of the lakers shot and how much better they shot in the bubble than they did outside of the bubble um and and you know in this case though those are they're, they're shooting bubble type numbers and uh they're they're doing so regularly and you know you mentioned the the three-point output and they've had two 70-point halves um, and, and in either of those cases and in, in, in either of those instances or any of those instances, it never really felt like, well, they better win this one, <laughs> you know, like if they, if they, if they had the, the nine three pointer quarter last year, you were like, they better win this one. This is the outlier shooting night. They got to win this one, this one though. Yeah. I'm not saying that they're going to average 70 points a half and all of that stuff. I'm not, I'm not saying that. But it just felt natural. It felt organic. It felt like it all came within the flow of the offense. It the 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 looks that they were generating were all generated through the offense and with direction, with purpose. And then the ball was finding guys that the defense had to react to the ball finding, right? And you know, part of this is we haven't seen Jared Vanderbilt in much in this preseason. And um, I guess we could talk about him later too. And and he's the only guy. I think on this roster, which is kind of telling in and of itself, but he's the only guy on this roster where the ball will find him open and defense will just kind of shrug, right? Defenses will just kind of like, all right, you know, you, you kind of take that. Everybody else pretty much who will regularly see the ball on the three-point line, uh, the, the, the defense is going to have to react in some way, shape, or form. And that is just, you know, one of the reasons that I think you and I have always you know, and I've always enjoyed podcasting with you is because we see the game, I think pretty, you know, uh, similarly, we do care about analytics, we do care about spacing, we do care about, you know, where the game seems to be heading. And this is the very first time in my life, and I've, I've followed this team now closely for 30 years, I've been doing this, Jen told me the other day for over a decade, this is the very first time in my life that the Lakers are a modern team, they look like a modern team. How, uh, how, like that has to take you aback a bit too, right? Cause you know, they, they've, they've kind of arrived here kicking and screaming. Yeah. Well, I, I was there in, in Vegas for the game against Brooklyn when they went 20 for 55 from three. And it felt like I was watching the, the Rockets or the Warriors or <laughs> yeah. the Celtics or, or, you know, pick your favorite analytics team over the last few years that has jacked up 40 plus threes a game. And, and that's becoming pretty commonplace now that that's becoming more the norm but 
Yeah. To your point, yeah. Like, and, uh, you know, another uh, stat I, I've referenced a lot over the last few years when discussing the Lakers and kind of where they are in the league hierarchy is uh, if you look at, I, I would say this shift kind of happened around 2011 with that, that Dallas team that won mm -hmm. the title. But if you look at from that point on, uh, a huge championship ingredient has been three-point shooting. And yeah. every champion since then has either been in the top 10 in three-point makes, three-point attempts, or three-point percentage. And most of them have been in the top 10 in at least two of those, if not all three. And we could go through, I mean, those Miami Heat teams, the, the Warriors, yeah. um, you know, the, the Warriors again, uh, you know, Denver, uh, it was a you know not a very high volume three point shooting team, but but a, a very good. They knocked three -point down the ones they shot. <laughs> yeah, so uh, the one exception since 2011 has been the 2020 Lakers, mm -hmm. and they won because LeBron and AD at that point were two of the four best players in the league. They had the best defense in the league, and, uh, and they, they shot. Really they, all, well. they also shot well in the bubble, and <laughs> and you know they made the shots when it counted. But like they were kind of the one team that bucked that trend. Uh, yeah. Again, kind of referencing the Lakers not necessarily being the most modern team in terms of approach. But I think for them to win a championship and, and for them to beat the four teams that I mentioned ahead of them, in my opinion, uh, it's going to have to come with the three-point shooting to an extent. And they're not going to be, uh, again, they're not going to be the Warriors. They're not going to be the, those Maury, Harden, Rockets teams that were just taking 50, 63s a night. But you have to be, I think they have to be at least league average, if not slightly above. And this to me looks like a roster and a rotation that could hit that mark. Uh, now it, we'll see. Uh, it is preseason when the when the lights are brighter. Who knows? The Lakers have had some weird shooting luck with bringing guys in who are good yeah. career three point shooters. And then... actually, kind of ironically, it's more when the the lights are dimmer, right? Because the Lakers <laughs> sure, have that sure. they have yes. that boxing. The lights style are dimmer; lighting. they can't see the rim. Yeah, right. Uh, but <laughs> if you know, if, if this can translate into a regular season. And the Lakers have a little bit of that trade-off maybe of, hey, we're going to have a better offense at the expense of a, a slightly worse defense. I think that that builds a stronger contender profile versus more more being like, hey, we're going to play Vando 30 minutes a night and, and really load up on our defense and try and be the best defense possible. But our offense is going to be kind of league average or maybe even below as it's mm -hmm. been at times uh, over the past few seasons. A big part of that, and 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 frankly – you know, LeBron has been in and out of the lineup. Austin Reeves has been in and out of the lineup. Um, Anthony Davis is only playing like first halves, you know. Um, I would say probably the the steadiest player, uh, I think the most impressive player to this point in the preseason has been D'Angelo Russell. And he's been impressive, obviously, offensively. Stu Lance just keeps ranting and raving every telecast about, man, this guy is really in control of the offense. He knows which looks to hit and, and all of that stuff. And he's he's focusing a lot on the on the offense, but to me, what has really stood out is the way that D'Angelo Russell is competing defensively, because and, and the things that he's talking about when he references his defense, right? He he admitted, and and and, and you know this is the clip that that went viral. I have never heard a, a, a second overall pick talk about this way about himself, where he said, "Yeah, I got played off of the court, and a big part of that was because I couldn't defend, and I don't want that to happen again." and you know, he's at that stage of his, of his career and, and, and also of his life, right? He's a, he's a father now, where his career can kind of go in one of two ways. If he gets played off the court again, and that is now 
four playoffs where that has been the case, um, he isn't going to be making top type money, right? He's not going to be making the the 25 million bucks that he and his camp were hoping to make in this last off season. Um, he already isn't. And then if, if he does though, if, if this type of player, uh, what we've seen from D'Angelo Russell so far, if this is who he is, then he might get back up to that level of earning, right? Because then he's a, a starting caliber point guard and, and he's capable of winning his 16 games. Like that is a player who gets in that 25 to maybe even 30 million bucks for one more contract or something. Um, how real do you think this is? Like w- from what you've seen here, do you think this is sustainable? Yes, I, I do. Um, I will say that the caveat, uh, because I did, did a, an episode of Spectrum recently and uh, one of the topics was like, is D'Angelo Russell going to have a bounce back season? And I thought he had a pretty good season uh, yeah, until the, the playoffs. Regular season was fine. The <laughs> regular season was was really good. And, mm-hmm. and then I felt he was up and down in the first couple rounds, uh, had some big moments, but also had some lows and, and had mm-hmm. some, uh, you know, like two for 11, uh, he had a, a couple of those type games. And, and then obviously in the Denver series, uh, he really struggled. They targeted him from before the series, after game one, they made it very public. We're going at D'Lo, uh, yeah. and they targeted him defensively, and then offensively, uh, he became a shell of himself and, and couldn't make shots. And you know, so I, I think for me, so what I said in that segment was like, I think D'Lo is going to come out and average seventeen and twenty points, four to five rebounds, five six, maybe seven assists, yeah. and shoot around forty percent on threes. Like you can pencil that in every regular season for him. The question for me is what happens in the playoffs? And if you look mm-hmm. at his uh, first round series with, with Brooklyn, first round series with Minnesota, and then the ups and downs last year, like his playoff history is checkered at best. And, and really it's been pretty yeah. negative. The, those first two series, he shot under 40% overall and was in the low 30s from three. Uh, and then of course, you know, for most of that, not being a plus defender. So I, I say all this to say, like for me, I'm very confident in D'Lo as a regular season player. I, I still think it's TBD on the playoffs. And if he can be that 16 game player, because again, like I go back to last season, there were some really high highs in the regular season. Like he had some really big games where he looked really, really good. And ultimately and the Lakers were unbeatable and the Lakers games. when he's rolling, like the Lakers, I mean, ice in the veins and the crowd's going wild. And like, there's nothing yeah. like a big D'Lo three pointer that gets crypto.com arena uh, just on its feet. Now, I will say, I think D'Lo has had a different temperament. I think he has taken accountability, as you mentioned, referencing the Denver series. He has been talking about his defense a lot. So I think the biggest difference to me has been the defense. We are seeing him compete at a level. Like, I I have a story coming out tomorrow uh, about the the D'Lo, Derek White stuff. And I I, uh, referenced this play against Golden State that I really think epitomizes uh, everything he's doing defensively right now, where like Austin makes a jumper, D'Lo immediately goes, picks up Chris Paul full court. He's hounding him full court. Kavon yeah. Looney tries to screen him uh, in the backcourt. He evades the screen, goes around it. He's pressuring Chris Paul. Chris Paul clearly is uncomfortable. He's trying to shove him. He's, he's trying to do dribbling moves, get away from him. And D'Lo's just hounding him. Uh, and then he motions for uh, Andrew Wiggins to come up and do a dribble handoff. He hands it off to Wiggins. Russell switches onto Wiggins. Wiggins tries to spin past him and, and get in front of him. D'Lo spins the opposite way, beats him to the spot and cuts off his drive. Yeah. And then at that point, Kavon Looney is at the top of the key. AD's completely ignoring him. Uh, Wiggins kicks the ball back to, to Looney 
And as we know, the Warriors, when their bigs are at the top of the key and they're not guarded, they run those dribble handoffs for Steph or Clay, which gets them a wide open look. So now Clay's coming off that dribble handoff. Torian Prince gets smacked by Kevon Looney on the screen, and mm-hmm. Clay has like a sliver of space, which, as we know, that, that's 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 cash. He's going to make that. Yeah. D'Lo reads the situation, sees that 80s in the paint, comes up and uh, closes out and contests the shot. And Clay in air has to adjust the shot because of the closeout and he misses it. And mm-hmm. I thought it was like that was a perfect encapsulation of a great defensive sequence from D'Angelo Russell, where across 12 seconds, he he's pressuring full court. He's evading screens. He switches twice. He closes out. He forces a miss like and you can't expect that from him every single possession, but that's the type of defense we rarely saw last season from him. Yeah. If he can do that on a more consistent basis, like that to me is something that does make him a closing option. That does make him someone who should be playing 30 plus minutes a night. And I think it does change the Lakers ceiling. Like I think when we're projecting things, we're banking, we're, we're kind of baking in D'Lo at, you know, playing at a certain level or playing a certain role. But if he's playing defense like that and really trying, you, I mean, he's got a 6'10 wingspan. I think people forget that. 6'5", 6'10 wingspan. Yeah. Like, he can do things defensively against smaller guards when he's really locked in. It's just a matter of getting him to do that consistently. But I've been really impressed by that. And that, to me, more than anything, has been something that you know potentially rewrites D'Lo's ceiling and future with the Lakers as well as the Lakers' ceiling. The future with the Lakers aspect of it is really intriguing to me because like you talked about the reason that he is considered somebody who was movable at the deadline is because there's real questions about what he'll be able to do at the in the postseason. And um, I've talked about it several times over here on the show. When he signed that contract, uh, the sentiment around the league was, yeah, they signed him to the most movable contract they could get him to agree to. Um, there, it, there, I believe there's reporting out there. And if not, um, no, I'm pretty sure there's reporting on it, but, but essentially the offer that the Lakers, uh, made to him initially was a, a team option with more money up front or a single year deal with more money up front. And he and his team wanted a player option for less money over the two years, but he wanted that second year of, of guaranteed money that was within, uh, in, in his control. And, and so that's essentially where they found themselves. And the thinking is that, yeah, at the deadline, he'll be used probably to consolidate the roster, go out and get maybe another defender. If there's one available at the two spot or something like that. But I have been shocked at the amount of, of that chatter, um, around the league really kind of dissipating. There's a lot of people who really think like, Whoa, this is new. And, and I'm wondering a, if you're hearing or not hearing some of that same stuff and and b if you do think um because again it's it's going to come down to a gamble essentially is he going to be this player in the postseason do you see him uh the likelihood of him remaining on the lakers beyond the deadline um increased now uh compared to where it was over the off season uh yeah i think i think it's increased slightly i would still say i i think if they make a move, and as we've seen the last several deadlines, the Lakers have been one of the more yeah. active teams at the deadline. Uh, it's just, if you look at the contracts and who's movable, like D'Lo almost has to be in any deal that they do. I mean, you can move Rui, 
Uh, Vando isn't tradable this season, so that's a guy yeah. off the table. Like, there's just so, only so much money you can. I mean, you can move Gabe, you can move uh, Torian, but I mean, he might be the the starting three that you, you kind of. I mean, that's a hard position to replace, mm-hmm. uh, especially on this roster. So, I, I think there are different moves the Lakers can make, but I think it kind of comes back to if they are going to make any substantial move to try and upgrade the rotation, it almost has to. Uh, you know, requires uh, requires D'Angelo Russell to be involved in that uh, based on just the salaries and, and you know kind of making that work. Uh, but again, like if he continues to play like this and and have the right attitude and because uh, I, I will say too, like I think this is the highest level I've seen him play at offensively, at least with the Lakers. Um, mm-hmm. Like I do think uh, he he's looked better. Like it's not just been the defense. I think offensively, I mean, he, he's got like a seventy two percent true shooting percentage, and it is preseason. It's a few games, but like. Still, he, he shot, uh, you know, the, the bleep out of the ball and, and yeah. looked really good offensively. Uh, and he's talked about working on his body this this past offseason and, and trying to get stronger and, and get in better shape. And I think you've seen that his ability to get into the paint, uh, his ability to kind of shoulder people and and withstand that. Like, I, I think all that stuff's legit. So um, what I what I think it does is it gives the Lakers a better alternative, whereas I feel like a few months ago, it felt like. We have to retain the D'Lo asset because we can't replace him if he just walks. You know, we're, we're not getting that money back. We're not getting that spot in the rotation back. Uh, but this is our best trade asset. This is something we can move if we want to upgrade the roster. Now, yeah. I think, but uh, with kind of a little bit of pessimism of like, he's coming off this really bad series where he wasn't playable. Um, you know, I think there was concern. Is this going to shake his confidence? Is it going to shake the relationship when the Lakers aren't offering him necessarily the money that he wants? And then for him to come back and, and respond the way that he has, I think it gives the Lakers a great alternative of like, yes, we can potentially trade him if there is a need on the roster, if there's a major injury, if there's a hole that we have to plug, particularly probably a 3D wing type who, who can help bolster the perimeter defense. I think they, they have to you know think hard about that. But now there's this alternative of like, if we just keep D'Lo and he's playing at a higher level on both ends than he was playing at last season, like, you know, this is a guy who, again, uh, can kind of rewrite our ceiling and, and you know, take us to a different level. So I, I think the Lakers, I mean, having your players overperform or, or exceed expectations is always a good thing. And I think yeah. this this start to the season, I, I think it's it's building equity with the Lakers. It, you're kind of repairing that relationship. Um, not that it was ever in a bad state, but, but I think, you know, the, the Denver series was obviously tough. And I think at the time, if you go back to some of D'Lo's comments or, or – you know, at exit interviews, like he wasn't thrilled about being yeah, benched and, and coming off the bench mm-hmm. at that time. So I think th- those fences are mended and um, I think it's in a really positive state right now. Yeah. It, you mentioned the the contract negotiations from what I had heard and what has been reported. It was, he was expecting, he and his camp were expecting upwards of 50 million bucks over a two year span. He got two years, $36 million. 14 million bucks is a big gap there in in expectations versus reality and him experiencing that and being mature enough to not hold it against the team but to refocus on improving um i think sheds a light again on on a real maturation process i've i've been covering and this sounds insanely old to say but i've been covering him since he was a rookie and if you would have told me rookie D'Angelo Russell would be saying the things that he has said this offseason, 
<laughs> and I was high on him, but he was not mature enough to say that kind of stuff. And, and, and it's been, it's been cool and also somewhat hilarious to watch the maturation process because he said that in, in, um, at media day, he said that like part of the reason why he came into camp a, in better shape this year is that he had a kid and that they weren't able to do as much traveling as they usually do. And, and I also like, you know, I have two children. There are days where I'm like, you know what? I got to go do some work so that I can get away from my kids for a little bit. And I could just see him like, ah, uh, sorry, babe. I, I got to get in shape. You know, you, you got, you're good. You're good. We're good. <laughs> like, it was just, it's, it's been, um, it's been really fun to, to watch. Um, the other, the, so we've talked about the identity that the Lakers have kind of formed here. And we've talked about the offensive firepower that they, that they can really showcase. Um, we've talked about the, the type of identity that they've won with in the past. And, and a player who was a big part of that last year was Jared Vanderbilt. And, um, you know, he's been hurt with the, the heel thing for about a week or two or a week and a half or so he's been, he's missed the last few preseason games. And in that time, I think Torian Prince has probably earned himself that, that fifth, uh, starting spot, I would say. I think Rui looks more uh, natural and comfortable with that second unit as kind of the centerpiece of the uh, of the offense with that group, and that leaves Vanderbilt in kind of a tough spot. The minutes are are a little tricky to find for him. Um, what what have you heard? What's your sense on where Jared Vanderbilt goes from here? The Lakers extended him. They were very excited about him coming into this year. I think had he not gotten hurt, he probably would have been the odds-on bet to start on opening night. Um, but that that I don't think is going to be the case. What's your uh, where do you stand on on Vanderbilt right now? I think he's he's going to factor in prominently into the rotation. Still, I think as you said, uh, he quickly established himself as the favorite early in camp, mm-hmm. uh, and then I, I think Torian with his shooting and them giving him a look. And then Vando's injury uh, kind of snowballed. Because let's go back to the the first day of the preseason or the, the first game of the preseason. Remember, uh, there's no LeBron, uh, and the Lakers start Vando and Rui, so they, mm-hmm. they don't start Torian. And Torian fouls out in I believe it was what 13 <laughs> it's minutes. Like a full on Travis uh, Knight. And, and it was had five, had five fouls in eight <laughs> minutes, and then I think yeah. fouled out in like 11 or 13 minutes. And then the next game they play Brooklyn, and he does play. Uh, that's he starts plays a little bit better. Uh, but he also, I think, gets five fouls in like 20 or 18 minutes or whatever. And like so through it was like less than 30 minutes or, or around that range. He had 11 fouls. And it's like yeah. that was like as bad of a start as you could have defensively uh, for a group that, you know, say what you will about kind of what they need at that spot. Like defense is a big part of it. Right. Like, mm-hmm. uh, I, I I mean, really, I think that's the that's really to me the, the key reason not to start Rui is because I, I mean, Across the three guys, like to me, Rui is the best player, and, and yes. I don't think it's necessarily okay. close. Mm-hmm. I just think you probably need a little bit more foot speed. A guy who can, like, we've seen Torian chase guys around screens. We, we've seen him guard some smaller players. You can't necessarily ask that of Rui. Now, the flip side is you can't really ask Torian to guard a Jokic. Uh, if he tries to box out an Aaron Gordon, I think he's going to lose that. So that's where a guy like Rui situationally could have some more value. Uh, against a team like Denver or, or in certain matchups. But um, for for me, I think Vando, the way I look at it is if you're building out second units that feature Christian Wood, uh, and, and I think he's going to be you know the, the backup center and, and featured in some of those things, like there are different ways you can go. You can go 
double big with AD or Jackson Hayes as that other guy. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, I, I thought the Lakers kind of showed a potential strategy that, that they're going to use in the regular season where Christian Wood was the guy on Giannis kind of as that first line of defense. And then they had AD roaming on the backside, ready to help if necessary, ready to block shots. And more uh, often than not, it's going to be necessary. <laughs> it's going to be necessary. And, and then, but he's also there when if necessary. like, let's say you, you send a double at Giannis and then someone like cuts to the rim. Yeah. Now AD is that helper guy meeting them at the rim and, and he's going to win that matchup a, a lot of times. Mm-hmm. Um, so you could go that route or you could go Vando. And and I think that's kind of another way to, to look at this of like, I think we'll see some Christian Wood Vando Rui front court minutes where mm-hmm. um, if you're putting Christian Wood out there, you obviously want to bolster the rest of the lineup defensively. So that's where I think like like having Gabe and Vando almost attached to the hip of Christian Wood, I kind of like where you're yeah. putting like a solid, you know, really good. I shouldn't say solid, a really good wing defender and a solid yeah. point of attack guard defender. And you're kind of just saying like you three are always going to be together because we're, you know, we're, we're trying to plug those holes with uh christian wood out there whereas a guy like you know delo even for the improved defense like well you know we'll see how long that, that lasts you don't necessarily want to tie like delo and austin as much to to christian wood because those guys might get beat off the dribble or exposed in certain matchups uh and and having guys like vando and vincent i think are, are a little stronger defensively so i look at vando as like a guy who's probably going to play um 14 to 18 minutes off the bench i, I think there'll be some matchups where if they're playing the Mavericks or they're playing the Pelicans and he needs to guard a Luca or a Brandon Ingram. And uh, maybe you bring him in in the first quarter earlier for Torian or like, I think there will be matchups that call for him playing 25 to 30 minutes a night. I also think there'll be matchups that might call for him playing like eight to 12 minutes a night. I think he's going to be one of the higher variance guys in the rotation in terms of his role. Um, But to me, I I think there are certain ways to kind of tie wood with, with Vanderbilt and and Vincent and, and make sure that, he has the proper perimeter help uh, because I, I think w- with a rim protector like that, like it really starts at point of attack and, and you got to stop guys from getting into the paint. And if you can stop that, then they're not going to necessarily expose some of Christian's weaknesses. But if it's uh matador defense out there and they're getting to the rim at will, then that's when yeah. he, he gets in foul trouble or he's not rotating at the right time, et cetera. So I, I look at Vando as like a Swiss army knife type energy defender off the bench. And I think his role will fluctuate depending on what the Lakers need that night. Yeah, I think I I, I like the idea because I've always thought of him as like a, a rhythm breaker defensively, right? Where, you know, the other team's best perimeter player or wing or whatever gets into a rhythm against, you know, Torian Prince or against whoever is is guarding him in, in with that starting group. And then you bring Vanderbilt in there and he's kind of like you're, you know, we're, we're in the baseball playoffs right now, right? You have a left-handed hitter or a right-handed hitter you have the left or right-handed specialists who come in there and, and really throw guys off of their game. And I, I like, I like the idea of that. And then also, I just think what we've seen from the uh, starting group with Torian Prince in it is they are extremely efficient in the half court and they can really execute. They don't need stops in order to ignite their offense. They can, they can go out there and they can score against a, 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 a setup defense just as well as, as it's just about anybody in the league. And um, I like the idea of throwing to a bench unit that comes in there, really speeds the game up, really gets out and, and, and presses defensively and, and gets out and runs. And then over the course of the game, because this is how it just naturally goes, you combine 
you know, you throw different combinations out there depending on what the team needs, right? Sometimes that second unit is going to need a little extra half court execution. Cool. You have that LeBron guy who can step up there and, and, and help with that. You know, if, if, um, if they're really struggling, if Christian Wood is in foul trouble, if they're really, uh, they really need, uh, a, another late line of defense or more sta standard line of defense that Anthony Davis guy is going to be, is going to help there. So I, I, I like the idea of, of the first unit having a very clear identity as we've seen them have with Prince and then the second unit have a very clear identity that really kind of changes the, the rhythm of the game. And I think Vanderbilt's a big part of that. Like he gets after it. I, I, I don't think it's possible to tell him, Hey, cool it. Like <laughs> you, you wouldn't want to anyway. And, yeah. and, and, um, so long as wood is out there, that helps with the spacing that, that Vanderbilt doesn't provide. Uh, Rui helps you with some of the half court, um, execution seeing as you can kind of throw it to him. And he can score against just about anybody, let alone any bench player. And and I think that that unit kind of makes quite a bit of sense. Um, last thing before we get you out of here is, you know, as it, as it pertains to a brutal Western Conference and um, it just about any, any given night, you're going to turn on a Western Conference game and it's going to be a tough matchup or it's going to feature some super promising young guy or a super promising young team that can beat just about anybody on any given night. Uh, I came into this preseason thinking, and I believe the, I don't know what the over under is set at now, but coming into the, coming into the uh, preseason, the over under for the Lakers was set at like 48 and a half. And I thought they were like right there. They would come in at like 48 wins. But if they're capable of executing the way that we've seen them execute, that's how you win in the regular season, right? That's that's the, the, the ability to just like catch fire on any given night and beat just about anybody or shoot so well that the math keeps you in these games well enough that LeBron and AD can execute down the stretch. Um, even if I'm concerned about their ability to get stops in those in those spots, I have found myself talking myself into 50 51, 52 wins for this team. And I know that that isn't their goal. I think they're they're We know that their goal is to get everybody healthy and, and whatever their, their, their seating might be, um, you know, just, just arrive at the postseason as healthy as they can possibly be. But I do think that like through depth and through shooting and through execution, I think they can rip off like 50 ish, 50 plus wins this year. Yeah. I, I agree with you. I I did the the dunked on uh, Lakers season preview, and at the end we do a, a record prediction. That that was probably two or three weeks ago, and I had the Lakers at fifty three wins. Uh, so, I, and I think I'm I'm more of an optimist maybe in, in that regard, which is funny mm -hmm. because I'm I'm typically not an optimist. <laughs> yeah. uh, but uh, yeah. I, I I do I look at the Lakers as. A couple things with that is is one, I look at them as a team that might actually be better in the regular season than they are in the playoffs um, because of the depth. Uh, yeah. And I, I think so. So that's that's one thing. Um, and two, although you can make the counter argument that like, hey, put LeBron and AD in any seven game series, and like, I mean, the Lakers obviously have a chance. So I, yeah. maybe I'm wrong on that, but I just looking at the roster and kind of the makeup, I was like, like I think this is. Clearly, a lot of really good regular season players. I, I do wonder, like, what is the seven to eight man rotation come playoff time? 
if they just keep this roster as is. That's why I do ultimately think there'll probably be a move at the deadline, even maybe a smaller move, but I don't think this is the final roster. Uh, maybe I'm wrong. Uh, mm-hmm. But but two, I think this is the best equipped they've been to withstand a LeBron or AD injury in the Absolutely. LeBron AD era, where if AD goes down, I think Christian Wood is the, the best big man they've had in terms of being able to just step into AD's shoes and do what Thomas Bryant did last season, Putting but up, better, uh, but but better, and and putting up twenty and ten effortlessly, and yes, the defense is going to be a, a concern, but really the defense is going to be a concern anytime AD is off the floor. I think like yeah. that's kind of another thing of like um, I've been really impressed by Jackson Hayes. I think he looks like a rotation player. I still think like defensively, AD to Jackson Hayes is a big drop off. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I don't I think that's probably. like a crazy thing to say. Um, <laughs> yeah. Even with the three he blocks he had it. against uh, against the Bucks, like. He'll get those blocks, but I still think overall it's a pretty big downgrade. So, yeah. Um, but like having, I mean, I thought it was kind of interesting that in that Warriors game, uh, the first four or five minutes of the game, like the offense was completely running through D'Lo and Austin mm-hmm. and AD and LeBron were more like secondary guys. And it was yeah. like, if we don't have a shot, you know, we're going to kick it out to AD uh, for a three or and like, it looks fine. Well, and it looked fine and, and it looked sustainable. So like yeah. that to me is like the Lakers have the the offensive weapons where um like I look at a guy like Torian Prince, who's probably like what sixth or seventh in the pecking order in terms of offense. Like mm-hmm. on that team two years ago, he might have been third <laughs> or, or fourth. And yeah. like like really been relied upon of like 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 that was the guy, you know, it was all Wayne Ellington and Trevor Ariza and Mello and like the Lakers like were were searching for that wing to start next to LeBron and AD and like yeah. Torian Prince was was better than all those guys were a couple years ago. So like I, I just look at and now he's behind you know D'Lo, Austin, Christian Wood, Rui. So I, and Gabe is in the mix. Like they're just a really deep team, especially offensively in my opinion. And I, I think those three additions of Gabe, Torian, and Christian just shift the identity. And you know, I think Gabe is still a plus defender. Torian's around average. Christian is is I haven't Below really average, loved yeah. what I've seen defensively from him, but mm-hmm. um I thought he held his own at times in the honest matchup. At times it wasn't so great. Uh but I think overall the the way I look at this preseason of, of what I'm taking away is is the firepower is legitimate. This team has more weapons, they have better shooting, they have better spacing, they have a better system. And I think there is going to be an offense defense trade-off. I don't think they're going to be a top two defense again. I don't think they're gonna be a top five defense. I think they're probably more in like the eight to 12 range, Mm -hmm. but I think they could also be in the eight to 12 range, if not potentially even higher offensively. And if you're a top five offense and a top 10 defense, you're cooking. And that's where that's how you win a championship. And even, even beyond that, if you, if you zoom out even further, it's a competent, sensible organization. There isn't any nonsense, you know, Mm -hmm. it's, it's not, you talked about it and maybe we maybe we should be blaming you because you arrived and all the bullshit started <laughs> i just i i just attract it <laughs> but like but we we know you know we, we, we've seen we, we saw we saw the last the last two years right two years ago um they they acquire russell westbrook and there is all of this optimism coming into camp and it was immediately like they're gonna win uh, can you win when you know can you win a preseason game? <laughs> yeah like, like Aaron Aaron always says like preseason doesn't matter un, un, until it matters right like and in that one 
that preseason, the fact that like even when those three guys were on the court, they didn't really overwhelm in ways that they needed to overwhelm for that team to make any sense, right? And that was kind of like in the back of your head, you know, I'm thinking, and I wasn't really thrilled because I didn't, I didn't like the Russell Westbrook trade. And, and maybe there's some confirmation bias at play there, but I was just like, this is not great. Like if they aren't, if they aren't beating the crap out of teams with those three guys on the court, the Lakers are really going to struggle this year. And then obviously last year I've compared it to two cars backing into each other uh, in, in a parking lot where everybody's saying like, Hey, they're, they see each other, right? They're not actually going to bump into it. And, 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 and I was like, Hey, they're going to trade Russ, right? Like they aren't actually going to go into, and then they did. And they're okay. They aren't going to go into the right. Nope. And then they did. And, and we saw how that went. And, and so this year it's just nice to sit back and enjoy the basketball. And it's even that much nicer to have that basketball turn around and be very enjoyable. It's a very pleasant brand of basketball to watch. You know, it's, it's a, it's a group that makes a ton of sense. Like you just said, AD and LeBron were almost secondary tertiary type players out there. And I wasn't like saying, um, Hey, <laughs> get 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 the ball to LeBron, please. You know, because it, it the ball was in Delo's hand. He looks great. And Austin, I think, is really is he is really poised for a leap this year. So I can't wait to cover this year, man. I can't wait for your coverage of this team this year. Um and and again, everybody listening, everybody watching, you can catch Yovan stuff at the athletic. He does tremendous work over there. As he just indicated, apparently he has a piece coming out tomorrow about D'Angelo Russell and, and the defense. So if you've liked this conversation, Check out more of that. Is there anything else you want to plug before we get you out of here? Uh, that's it. I've been posting a lot more of uh, like behind the scenes vlog type content uh, on all platforms. So if you follow me anywhere, I want to see more of what it's like to cover the team, what's going on on a day-to-day basis. Uh, check out those videos. Great. And that's at Yovan Buha everywhere on socials, all, all, all across all social. You can, it's, it's the Except same. Except for OnlyFans. That, that one, I, I don't, I'm not a member. <laughs> Well, I'll, I'll DM you for that one after we're done here. <laughs> Thanks, everybody, for listening. Thank you, Yovan, for, for hopping on. Uh, and we will be back tomorrow with Harrison uh, to, I, I don't know. I don't, it's going to be a step down. Apologies, everybody. <laughs>